Well, it seems like um, <laughs> at this stage in my life, um, all of you know, I, I've got three young little girls. They're right at the ages of six, eight, and 10. Um, Nora, Harper, and Claire. Uh, call her Nora Bora, Harpy, Harpy Goose, and Claire Bear. And uh, it seems like um, every sermon, uh, the girls make it into the sermon somehow. And that's just kind of the stage that I am in. And I'm just going to go ahead and take advantage of it, okay? Because in like five years, they're going to be like, Dad, you cannot talk about about us anymore. Please stop it. But right now they can't say a thing and they're not in here and they don't watch the sermons online later. So they don't really know what's going on. So I'm just going to milk it for what I, what I can. Um, the girls are um, doing something really fun that I started with them uh, not too long ago. We just did this whole summer experiment. That was great. Um, I, I had them start a business. Um, so my young girls, it's technically not legal. So don't tell the county or the state, but um, they started a business and they had named it Welch's Snack Bar. Uh, Welch's Snack Bar. And basically, Basically, what we do is we set up shop right on the street. We live a few blocks from here and put up a little tent, got a bunch of coolers, and we sell drinks and popsicles all Saturday long. And um, the girls are loving it. It's been fun. I've taught them how to do inventory, that they have to manage their inventory. So we have an inventory, sp inventory spreadsheet. Um, we also do a balance sheet so they know how much money is going in, uh, how much money is going out. Um, uh, they have uh, created um, some other things. Uh, necessary for the business. It is a lot of fun. Um, yesterday was great. We we're on the on, on the street selling for a few hours. They made $112 yesterday, um, which was uh, pretty impressive. Um, once we, once the girls got got paid for their work that day, um, Claire literally stand up, stood up on top of the bench with her money and threw it up in the air and said, "I'm rich." And I'm like, <laughs> not sure that's what I'm trying to cultivate in. Uh, but she's excited, uh, none. Uh, nonetheless. Um, now, the, the interesting thing about uh, this whole business experiment with them, I'm trying to teach them entrepreneurship and, you know, trying to, trying to give them kind of a financial mindset, you know, um, as, they, as, they, as they grow up. But um, one of the things that's so um, interesting about this is that, like, they can, like, um, they barely make it through a sale. You know, I mean, it's like, I mean, they just, like, by the skin of their teeth, I mean, they get this thing done. Um, and the, the reason is, is because of... Um, uh, is, a couple things. One is internal opposition. Um, they can't stop fighting uh, to, to, to make a sell is, is one of the things. And then some external opposition as well. And so they, they, they want to, um, basically every Saturday, they're like, Dad, can we? But what inevitably happens is a thunderstorm rolls through or it's raining all day on Saturday. And they're so devastated um, because, they, um, because they can't uh, get their, the, the sale. They can't do, do their, their business. And so what, what's interesting is, is I'm also teaching them about opposition. I'm teaching them about opposition. And whenever you start something and whenever you do something that's significant or important, it doesn't mean that it's always going to go the way that you want it to go. It means that things aren't always going to be smooth. Things aren't always going to be straightforward. There's going to be some opposition. The title for today is this, Facing Opposition. Facing Opposition. And every single one of us have and will face um, opposition. And as we look at um, the early story of the, really the first church in the first century through the book of Acts, um, what we see is a church, is a group of Jesus followers that face opposition. And kind of what I want to help you to understand and what I want to help you to, to hear today is, is that you will face opposition and we will face opposition. We will face opposition. It is, it is, 
It is common. It is, it is the norm. And, and so today I want us to take a look at this, um, this early group of, of Jesus followers and, and kind of see this, the beginning, this kind of this onslaught of opposition that they have to face in light of their mission and what Jesus has tasked them to do. So we're in Acts chapter 5 today, and we're going to be in verses 12 and following. So this is what it says. Grab a Bible, grab an app. Um, it'll be on the screens as well. Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. It says this. Now many signs and wonders. Um, that's a way of saying all sorts of miraculous things are happening. Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. This is um, just an amazing moment in the life of God's people. It's an amazing season. I mean, miracles are happening. People are being delivered from unclean spirits, also known as demons. People are being delivered from all sorts of kinds of things. People are being healed. Literally, the sick people and those with diseases and all types of infirmities are being healed. It's absolutely amazing. It says they were all together in Solomon's portico, speaking of the apostles, which is kind of a porch, I guess, that they hung out on. And none of the rest dare join them, but the people held them in high esteem. I mean, it was, it was almost quite frightening what was happening, the level of just miraculous power that is happening here. In verse 14, and it says, more than ever, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. People are coming to know this Jesus like crazy. I mean, more than ever in multitudes. It's like, we can't count everybody. I mean, that's how many people it is. We can't even count everybody. I mean, this is literally thousands of people that are hearing the message of Jesus, this resurrected Galilean peasant who called himself the son of God. And they're hearing this message and they're actually following it. They're giving their lives to Jesus Christ. It's amazing. It says in verse 15, so that even, so they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. They're like taking sick people out in the street and like, maybe, maybe Peter just, maybe if Peter's shadow just like touches them, uh, they would be healed. I mean, crazy stuff is happening. And the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, everybody showing up into town, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, speaking of demons, demonic spirits, and they were all healed. Isn't that amazing? That's what I just, I long, I long for that. That's, that's us, by the way, y'all, you know, that's, that's us. That's our, that's our people. Um, that, that's in our DNA. That's in our, this is kingdom advancement. People are being healed. People are being changed. People are being delivered. Um, by the way, if you, you got somebody that, that needs to be delivered for, from something. You got somebody that's, that's sick, that's ill. Hey, bring them to church, by the way. Bring them to church. Bring them to community group. Let's, let's gather around if they're up for it. We'll lay some hands. We'll, we'll pray. Um, we'll ask for people to be healed. That's what we're supposed to be doing, by the way. Uh, that's, kind of, that's kind of the business of the church. Um, when everything else fails, when people can't find hope, when people can't find deliverance, when people can't find healing to come here. And it doesn't mean that we've got some kind of magic formula that, that works and we can do whatever we want to do. But we've got a God that is on the move and we're a church on the move. And God heals and God works and he's still the same God as he was back then. He's still the same God. And this is kingdom advancement. It's amazing. Don't you love it when things are going great? Don't, don't you? I mean, don't you love it when, when things are going well? By God, I love it. In seasons of, Hillary, I love it in seasons of the church when things are going well. Goodness gracious. Um, it's a great thing when things are going well, isn't it? 
And this is, I mean, it doesn't get any better than this. But you know what happens um, when things are going well, right? You know what happens? Here's what happens. Look, look Look in verse 17, it says this. But, somebody say but. That's what single T, not, not double, but things are going well, things are going great, things are awesome, but, but the, the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. Things are going great. It's, 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 it's amazing. God is moving. It's awesome. And then things Things seem to turn south. What you have to understand um, that I think will help you throughout the entire book of Acts is to, is to understand this about the first century, a little historical context. In the first century, um, God's people for generations were known as Israel, or some would call them the Jews. And um, uh, they had uh, created essentially a, a, re- a religion uh, that, that was now, now known as uh, Judaism. And in Judaism, it was a religious system where you had leaders and leadership and a tier of leaders and you had a high priest and you had other priests and then you have elders and a council of, of elders and then you had different groups within the religious system known as the Sadducees and the Pharisees and, and even other, another, another, other groups as well. And um, what was interesting about this moment is um, they're in the Greco-Roman Empire. So they're in the Roman Empire, but from Rome's vantage point, they actually didn't care what your spirituality was. Rome as an empire didn't care what your religion was. It was actually, um, there was a plurality or a, a great diversity of different kinds of religions and spiritualities and ideologies. And Rome didn't really care. Rome's only thing was that you weren't a threat to the empire. As soon as you become a threat to the empire, then Rome is going to snuff you out. But as long as you can do your thing, do your religion, do your spirituality, uh, we don't even care. And it was actually in Rome's best interest that religions kind of operated in a civil fashion. So what would happen is Rome would actually give religious establishments and religious groups and institutions would actually give them some backing, would give them some military backing, would give them some civil backing, would help them because it was in Rome's best interest to have these groups operate in some level of civility. So here's what would happen is that um, religious systems, um, essentially, though there was some opposition or some adversity or maybe didn't didn't like each other, still the church and the state in in some ways were kind of connected. And so what we have here is that the reason that the high priest can throw the apostles into a public prison is because they had the backing of Rome. And so whenever the high priest says something or there's something that is going against their religion or someone's causing a disturbance within the religion, they have the ability to use the power of Rome in order to punish people. Now the, the movement of Jesus and the uh, the, the, the reason that uh, Judaism or the Jews are so hostile against the apostles and this early movement of Jesus' followers is because they actually didn't love Jesus. They didn't know Jesus. And this is the story of the scriptures, is that God, that God the Son, Jesus Christ, would be born into his own people, which were the people of God, Israel, the, the Jews. He would be raised up in, in this people, and then the people would actually deny and reject him, many would. And Jesus would become an outsider. He would be considered a rebel. He would be considered an antagonist against the Jewish people. And they would ultimately have him killed. It was the Jewish people who had, it was them, it was the religious leaders of Judaism that that had Jesus killed. And they would, if you know the story, they would bring him before Pilate, um, the Roman leader. 
And Pilate wanted nothing to do with it, but the people demanded that they would crucify Jesus. And so Pilate, to accommodate the people, went forward with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Um, killed and murdered, the Son of God murdered by the people he came um, to save. And what would happen is this great hostility would happen between not only Jesus, but the followers of Jesus and Judaism. To the degree that um, they're going to try to snuff this thing out. They're going to try to wipe this thing out. The, the, the Judaism is going to try to eliminate this thing altogether. And what we see is that though things are going well, those there, though there is unbelievable opportunity, I mean, kingdom is advancing as, as amazing as it is at the same time as great opposition. At the same time that there is great opportunity, there's also great opposition. So I'll say it this way. With great opportunity comes great opposition. With great opportunity comes great opposition. And here's what we need to recognize is that if we want to attempt something great for God, we need to recognize we need to be prepared for great opposition. Um, you need to be prepared for great opposition. Great opposition is the norm for great opportunity. Great opportunity must pass through the stage of great opposition. And significant opportunity is rarely achieved without significant opposition. And this is particularly true of the way of Jesus and followers of Jesus. And so they get thrown into the public prison. I think at this point, oh man, I just can, I can imagine, um, I can imagine being an apostle and being like, this is what you got for me, God. You know, I'm doing your business, doing your work. And this is, this is how you're going to repay me. This is how you're going to bless me. Oh man, I can imagine the, the tension. I can imagine the, the struggle, but we, we see something actually very different um, with, these, with these early apostles. It says this in, in verse 19, it says, but during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. I love this. They're in the prison. They're in this Roman prison. Um, being punished, being persecuted, suffering for the cause of Christ. And what does God do? God sends an angel in the night. God sends an angel in the night and he opens the door and he delivers them. And he, it says that he brought them out. I want you to hear today that we have a God who can deliver. We've got a God who can deliver. We've got a God who is still in the business of opening prison doors. We've got a God who is still in the business of bringing people out. And I want you to hear today that this is the kind of God that we serve. And there is no prison where God cannot open the doors. There is no situation where God cannot deliver. There is no relationship where God cannot bring you out. There is no addiction where God cannot set you free. There is no anxiety where God can't open the doors and let you come out. And I want you to hear today, if you're online, if you're in, in the room today, struggling with a relationship, struggling with an addiction, struggling with a, a, a mindset, struggling with something mental, struggling with depression, with anxiety or, or whatever, I want you to hear today that there is deliverance in Christ. There is deliverance in, in him. Now, God opens the doors, but they had to walk out. And I want you to hear today that sometimes God 
opens doors. He brings you to a church. He sets you before worship. He, 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 he brings the word to you, but you got to walk through. You got to walk out. You got to walk it out. And God is a God who who delivers. God is a God who, who, who brings people out. God is a God that is working in all circumstances, in all situations, even in the bottom of a prison cell. So, so, so here's, here's my next point is this. Trust God for an opening in your opposition. Trust God for an opening in your opposition. How many of you want to quit when opposition comes? How many, how many of you just want to resort to something else, throw in the towel, be, be done? We got to trust God for an opening in, in, the, in the opposition. Trust that God is, is working even in the worst kind of circumstances. Even when we can't get our mind off of that thing. Even when we can't seem to forget what happened to us. Even we feel like we can't put down the bottle. That, that God is working and he's, he's moving. Even when I can't get over my own past and my own shame and my own hurt and things that I've done myself. Um, God is working even in the midst of all kinds of opposition in all kinds of circumstances. And he can deliver you. He can deliver you. Some, some, of, some of you need to be delivered from yourself, honestly. Um, a self-righteous attitude, a prideful attitude, thinking that it's all about you. Thinking that I'm going to show up here and I'm going to see what this church can do for me. I'm going to see, I'm going to see if they, they can, they can, they can make, you need to be delivered from that. Sometimes we even need to be delivered from ourselves. Um, and God can, God can deliver. He's a God that still delivers. And so what happens is, um, the apostles, they, they get delivered from prison. Um, I would have taken a little vacation if it was me. I mean, for being in prison. It, but what do they do? They go right back into the temple. They go right back into the temple and, they, and they're, they're preaching. They, they're not stopping. They're, they're teaching. Um, I love this. And here's, here's what happens. I'll summarize the next few verses for you. Is um, The high priest, they, they get up the next day and they say, all right, go get those apostles. Bring them in. We're going to try them. We're going to punish them. Um, go, go get them. And so uh, somebody goes to go get the apostles. Uh, and they come back and they're like, hey, we went down to the prison and everything was fine. The guards were there and, and I mean, nothing was really, really changed. Um, but they, we don't know what happened. The apostles aren't there. They're gone. And so they're like, what's going on? So they send everybody out into the city to find them. They finally find them in the temple and they bring them back in front of the, the high priest. And this is what it says in verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them. He's interrogating them, saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. We told you to stop talking about Jesus for crying out loud. One commentator points out that they won't even say the name of Jesus. They hate him so much. It says, and we'll see twice here in this passage, they refer to him in the third person in, in his name or this, this man. It says, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Speaking of Jesus, he's like, you're telling everybody about this Jesus guy and you're telling everybody that we're the ones that killed him. And the blood's not on our hands. They're trying to actually deflect the responsibility of what they actually did. And the apostles are going around telling the story of Jesus and the message of Jesus and how the high priest and the leaders in the Judaism, the, the, the religious system actually killed Jesus. And they're like, you got to stop that. We don't, we, won't blood, we don't want blood on, on our hands. And this is what Peter and the apostles said. It says this in verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. My goodness, 
They're, they're sitting, they're, they're sitting, they're being interrogated by the religious system. They're sitting in front of the most powerful religious people in the city. And Peter says, we must obey God rather than men. Uh, that's a good word for us today, by the way. Um, we don't obey um, man above God. We don't obey a system above God. We don't obey a government above God. We obey God. God is, God is first. He says we must obey God rather than men. He says the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. See the boldness here? God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel. He's like, you guys, you're the ones that are supposed to repent and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. He says, we're just witnesses. We're witnesses. We've seen it with our own eyes. Jesus, this Galilean peasant, he died and then he rose from the grave and he's changing people's lives and he's touching people and healing them and delivering them. And it's absolutely amazing. And we're just witnesses of this and we know it to be true and we have to say it. And the apostles and, and Peter all stand there and speak the truth and stand on the truth, even when they recognize it's probably going to cost them their life. And here's what that means. Uh, we must make Christ known even in the face of death. We must make Christ known even in the face of death. Um, I just feel like saying this right now. Um, church primarily... Um, isn't about like, uh, I see how I want to say this. Um, I usually don't hesitate this much, um, but I want to say this precisely. Um, church isn't primarily about spiritual pick-me-ups. Um, church isn't primarily about moral platitudes. Church isn't primarily about adding some good into your life. Okay. Now, does, are there some spiritual pick-me-ups that happen at church? I hope so. I mean, I hope you get picked up today. Um, are there some um, spiritual, you know, moral, great things that ha I hope so. I mean, good things that happen, absolutely. That's not what the church is primarily about. If you want to boil it down to its absolute center, the church is about a man named Jesus and declaring the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done to a world that desperately needs him. That's what the church is. The church is a, a movement. It, it's, it's about a kingdom. It's about a king and his kingdom and the, the, the mission of the kingdom. And what that means is at the bridge, we're... Um, we're a little bit of an intense church. I'm just like, just I'll acknowledge it. I'm sorry. We're kind of an intense church. I just, I just, I just read, I just read this book and it feels kind of intense to me. If I read this book rightly, it seems like there's a hell. If I read this book rightly, it seems like there's an eternity and God forbid that I help people have moral platitudes and make them feel good when at the end of the day, do you know Jesus and do you love him because it matters where you're going to spend eternity? I mean, we, we have to, 
We, we have to be a, about that. And here's the, here's the reality. Every now and then we need a good little like dose of an eternal perspective. I was talking with one of our members um, this morning after the nine o'clock worship gathering on the way out. And she said, um, it was so good thinking about eternity. And, you know, our lives are just a, it's like a drop in the ocean of eternity. You know, we get a few years, whatever the Lord would give us in this life. But you know how long eternity is? It's a long time, which means this life is supposed to be an investment. Um, this life is supposed to have mission. This life is supposed to have purpose. This, this life is, is supposed to serve an end. And we are, like Peter says, we're witnesses of this Jesus. He's changed us. He's touched us. He's given us the freedom from shame and guilt. And he's forgiven us of our sin. And he's given us a new life and a new mind. And his Holy Spirit is in us. And we love him. And he's given us an abundant life. And it's not perfect, but we love him. And we get to live for him. Um, that's, what, that, that's, what the, that's what the mission is about. And these... These disciples don't go soft when it, when, they, when, when it was the hardest moment. They don't go easy. They don't like work a deal. I'd be like trying to work a deal. All right, guys. Okay, here, let's do this. You don't kill me and I'll change what I say a little bit, okay? Or I'll only do it on Sundays. You good with that? Or what kind of deal can we work out here? No, they're not trying to, they're not working for self-preservation. Oh, they're, they're, they're living for the truth. Um, even if it costs them death. Um, we've sent people around the world as the Bridge Church to declare the hope of Jesus to places. And for some of them and for some of you, uh, it may cost you your life. Um, Christians die every day for the cause of Jesus and for the sake of Jesus all around the world. We've been praying a lot for Afghanistan this week. Our hearts are broken for what has been happening in Afghanistan. Uh, we spent a significant amount of time on Wednesday for our prayer room that happens, by the way, every Wednesday from 11 to 1. We come together and we just pray in here. And um, we spent a lot of time praying for um, Afghanistan and the church that's there. Um, what's likely going to happen in, in light of the Taliban taking over control of the country. The, the Taliban has always been in great hostility to Christianity because Christianity is seen as a threat to them um, where they um, actually murder and persecute Christians because of their faith. What's going to happen most likely in the days and the weeks and the months ahead is that Christianity in Afghanistan, which God's doing an amazing work in that country, what's going to happen is significant persecution and opposition is going to come to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And many of them will die uh, this week or this month or this year because of their, their faith. And we just need, as, as comfortable uh, Christians in America, we, we need a healthy dose of, of, of recognizing this every now and then. Yeah. Most of us would prefer lazy river Christianity, all right? Like, like find your inner tube, um, put on a bathing suit, uh, get a cold drink in your hand, put on your shades, and let's just, let's just float. A lot of us are accustomed to that kind of Christianity. What we see here is that, man, following Jesus and knowing Jesus, it's about being on the move. It's about being on the move. It's about the kingdom coming and the kingdom advancing. It's about taking over darkness. It's about letting the light shine, and it will cost you. And some of you, it will cost you significantly. 
to follow. But hear me when I say this, we must make Christ known even in the face of death. We must make him known even in the face of death. And then here we, we see this. So they're ready, to, um, they're ready to kill the apostles because of what they're doing and because of what they're, they're saying. Uh, a man named Gamaliel of the council, he stands up and he says, guys, we, this probably isn't our best play right now. We should probably think of something else. And then this is how the story continues in verse 38. It says, so in the present case, I tell you, he says, keep away from these men and let them alone. For, and this is extremely insightful, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, and he's saying there could be a chance that these guys are on God's team. If it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. <laughs> Which anything that is of God, anything that God is doing cannot be overthrown. It just can't be overthrown. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. And charge them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. They get beaten. They get beaten. Um, I personally... Never truly been beaten up, Pastor Chris. Um, had some middle school brawls at one point um, in my Christian private school. And it, I mean, it was, it was intense growing up in a private school. I mean, you gotta, you gotta watch your back in that place. Um, I remember getting in a few, a few fist fights, you know, on the ball field or something like this. I've never really been beaten though. Um, these apostles were beaten. I imagine they got kicked in the face. I imagine they got beat with rods. I, I imagine they got pushed against the wall and pushed down on the ground and punched in the face and in the gut, and then they threw them out. At that point, I'm kind of done, you know? Like, I mean, um, plumbing sounds like a great profession, you know, at this point. Um, these guys get beaten. Um, I want you to hear this today is that you must decide how you will respond to opposition. You must decide how you're going to respond to opposition because it's, it's there, it's coming. Um, maybe in different levels and different amounts, but you have a decision to make when opposition comes. I think that's how I wanted to say that. You have a decision to make when opposition comes. And, and these apostles have to make a decision on what they're going to do. Are they going to keep getting beat up for Jesus? Are they, are they going to lose their life? What are they going to do? And it says that they, what did they do? Oh, they rejoiced. They got a black eye and they're rejoicing. They got a bloody lip and they are rejoicing. They've got a bruised rib and they're rejoicing. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ. I love what James says in James 1, 2 through 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, <laughs> he's like any kind, by the way, any kind of trouble, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete needing 
nothing. Needing nothing. And in the midst of unbelievable opposition and challenge, they respond in joy, which is my last point. It is a joy to suffer for Christ. It is a joy to suffer for Christ. And we understandably don't suffer for Christ um, the way that our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world do. Um, but any kind of suffering for Jesus, it's a, it's a, it's a joy. And, and here's why. Here's why. Jesus suffered for you. Jesus gave his life for you. Jesus left the comforts of heaven and he entered human history as the son of God and he lived the life that you could not live and he died the death that you should have died and he conquered the grave that you could not conquer. Jesus suffered for you. Jesus was beaten. He was whipped. A crown of thorns was placed upon his head. He was unrecognizable. They nailed his body to a tree. They put the tree in the ground and he hung there for hours in agony and pain. And he suffered for you. That cross was meant for you. It was supposed to be your blood that was shed. It was supposed to be your life that was given because of your sin and because of your shame. But Jesus took it for you. And so therefore in response, if Jesus gave his life for me, I can give my life for Jesus. I can live for Jesus. I can suffer for Jesus. And I can count it joy. I could count it joy that I would even be considered worthy to suffer for Christ. Worthy to suffer for Christ. As I close today, I just think about... Um, opposition and the opposition that we face. Um, if you're new or if you haven't been around here very long, um, the story of the bridge is, is a, it's a wonderful story, but it's a story that's, um, that also has opposition. Any, any great opportunity comes with a great um, opposition. Um, and so I, as I was thinking um, this week about even thinking about opposition and by no means have, have we faced the same levels of opposition that have happened in scripture, but opposition has come. I remember back in 2016, we felt very called. I, I really honestly felt like God gave me just a mandate that I was going to live my life as a pastor and, and be a different kind of pastor, that we were going to prophetically speak into the church at large and the status quo just wasn't going to be okay anymore. And that were we going to be a church that had to take the kingdom seriously and do what the kingdom required of us. And finding ourselves in a culture and a society that has an unbelievable, harmful racial history. And being in a city that has a terrible racial history. And being in a city that is filled with diversity and all sorts of different kinds of people. But seeing churches that look more like clubs than the kingdom. I just felt like we had to do something to be more kingdom minded. And so we did in 2015 and 2016. And I remember being serious about this. I remember trying to rally the troops and we didn't do it perfectly, but I remember being serious about what God's calling us to do. And we, we had made a decision that, um, and at this point, I mean, we, the trajectory was to be a, a mega church. I mean, within the first you know, two years of the church, upwards of 700 adults coming here on a, on a weekend. And the trajectory was only up, up and up. 
Uh, but we made a specific decision that our church or our city rather didn't need just another mega church, but needed a multi-ethnic church, a church that would represent the beauty and the diversity of heaven and the kingdom. And in response to being specific about that decision, um, in the span of about six to nine months, upwards of about 150 or 200 people left the Bridge Church. Um, just left. Um, maybe that's not what they were, I get it. Um, maybe that's not what they signed up for. Um, maybe that's not what they were um, about. But I, I remember um, feeling that, you know, and have, having to wrestle with that. And then the, the opposition came from people in the city and people that were writing things about us, people that were saying we're no longer biblical, people that were saying we're, we're now into some kind of like shallow spirituality or something like that. Um, fast forward a couple years in 2018. Uh, 2018 I refer to as my own personal valley of the shadow of death. Um, it, it, was, it was a challenging year. You just ask, ask my wife or anybody that's been around here. I, I remember having to walk through a situation with one of our elders that was uh, extremely hard and painful and ultimately meant um, one of our elders leaving. In, in the same year, an, another elder, a founding elder, having to, uh, to move away for his daughter's health care. In, in the same year, another staff member leaving um, our staff. And, and then an, another staff. We only had six full-time staff at the time, and now we were down to two full-time staff. Um, and then it when we thought it couldn't get any worse, um, Hurricane Florence moves in in the fall of 2018 and floods our building, and we had to be out of here for several weeks. Um, I remember walking through that. I, I remember in, fast forward a couple, couple more years to 2020 um, and the pandemic happening. Um, something about um, even years, by the way, okay? So <laughs> let's have no problems in 2021, okay? I mean... Let's just wait for 2022, okay? But, um, but I remember last year with a global pandemic having to um, figure out what to do. You know, they don't, they don't teach you in seminary what to do when a global pandemic comes. And, um, but having to figure out how to shift and how to adjust. And we didn't do it perfectly by any, any means. But I remember just feeling like, gosh, you know, are we ever going to uh, get ahead? And by God's grace, I just want to say this is a, right now, this is a great season for the Bridge Church. Every season, um, every season, gosh, every season. Um, I feel like I just have to say that. Every season is a great season um, for what the Lord is doing. And here's, here's, why, here's why I share all that. Um, um, the reason that I, I share all that is because I've learned for myself it's in those moments and in those seasons of opposition that God has done some of his greatest work. Golly, anybody know me seven years ago, by the way? Um, anybody know, know me? Um, I was a mess, um, young, um, passionate pastor. Um, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Um, and God used 2016, God used 2018, God used 2020. Uh, to, to, to do something in me. There was an opportunity there. And, and it seems like at least in my own life that um, those seasons of greatest uh, opposition, 
are God's seasons of greatest opportunity. And what we're going to see as we continue on is that the church doesn't stop. Thank God. The message doesn't stop. The mission doesn't end. And in light of the harshest persecution and attack against the church, the church continues to thrive. The kingdom continues to advance and the church continues to move. So I just want you to hear today, wherever you are and whatever it is that you're facing and whatever, maybe the the opposition that it is that you're feeling and that you're going through, that uh, we got a God that meets you where you are. Uh, We got a God that works in the worst seasons of opposition and does his greatest work of opportunity in those seasons. And, um, And you can trust him today. You can trust him that he's still holding on to you. Mm. And so hear me today. Um, God's got his hand on you. Um, He's got his hand on you. Mm. And he loves you. Uh, Man, I'm... Golly. Why do I always cry as a pastor? God, like... Dang it. You know, I read actually, um, and when I was in seminary, I'd, I'd read the New Testament and Paul, he talks a lot about his tears and stuff. And I'm like, why is Paul crying all the time? And now I, now I get it. Um, being a pastor with a few years under my belt. Um, but my wife and I, we're, we're in a, we're in a season right now where, um, you know, we, we believe God's, um, um, calling her to something and doing something different in, in her life right now. And we're, uh, you know, we're trusting God and, in a, in a season that has, um, had a lot of, had a, had a lot of opposition. And so, uh, church, hold on, um, hold on and hang in there. Um, God loves you and he's, he's working. Um, uh, he's working in your life. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we're so grateful today for the way that you work, even in the challenges even in the adversity, even in the affliction, even when we're facing opposition. And we thank you for uh, that you're still a God that, uh, that meets us in a prison cell. You're still a God that meets us in bondage. You're still a God that meets us when our backs are against the wall. You're still a God that sees us when, when it feels like all the, the walls are closing in around us and you're working and you're moving and so God, help us to help us to receive the opposition, help us to receive the season um, and, and help us to help us to have joy even in the midst of of the seasons and in the, in the midst of this season, as we even face opposition right now, Lord, help us to have joy um, as our response. We thank you, Father, and we thank you for what Christ has done for us. And we we consider it a an honor, Father, to be able to give our life for the sake of Jesus and for uh, the cause of his kingdom. And so, Father, uh, we love you. We say this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.